time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey everybody and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here and this is episode number 103 of our podcast where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. We kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? A seasonal caramel. Yes, and it's yummy. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so I took a drive with my parents the other day to take my mom to the doctors, Mm -hmm. and the trees were stunning. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, we're having a really, really beautiful, colorful fall. Oh, man, I haven't been out that much, but I just said to my mom, I was like, look at these trees. They're so pretty. All the colors, everything. They haven't fallen yet. So it's We're losing good. a lot of ours right now. Pete has had to get the leaf blower out and uncover the runs. Oh, yeah. Our deck. Joe got the leaf blower out yeah. and blew the leaves off the deck. But driving through the neighborhoods, oh, man. I was like, it's so pretty. It really is absolutely beautiful. This would be a perfect fall, except it's been so warm. It's been really warm. And so that means two things. It means ticks. Mm-hmm. And it means that all the fiber art stuff I've been doing is not as fun because it's not fun to have <laughs> yards of heavy wool cloth lying on you when it's 75 degrees. Speaking of which... I just wanted to give a shout out to the Livestock Conservancy. I did their woolly weaving challenge. You would weave a scarf using wool from one of the heritage breed sheep that's on the priority conservation list. I, of course, did Jacob and Hog Island. It was super fun. Just a fantastic little program. You can still sign up for it and see the videos from it. Nice. So yeah, that was super fun. And now I'm back to weaving again, which I'm very excited about. I know you put a picture up on your Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just saying you're out of eggs. Yes, I'm out of eggs. (laughs) Not good. No. We have one baby laying out of the eight. I'd be really happy if I had one baby laying. I have none. And the leg bars are laying. So we're getting one to three eggs a day out of almost 20 something to 30 chickens. I'm getting nada. My nankins were laying, but they stopped too. Oh, And I was like, why are you stopping now? You just molted. Now you got babies. Yeah, I do have the baby (laughs) nankins, right? There are a lot of females on my farm and nobody's <laughs> laying eggs. You're it's like, okay. You're like, how many chickens do I have? And I do not have eggs. This is not a good thing. No, it kind of isn't. Are y'all having the same problems that we are right now? We're coming up on Thanksgiving and- Well, this would not be an issue if our pullets were laying in a timely manner, but they're all heritage breeds <laughs> and apparently none of them other than Basil, the- The super hen. My Delaware has bright red comb and waddles. Yeah. And she goes in the coop every day and kicks everything all over the place, but nary an egg have I seen. Rita is looking like she could. Mm-hmm. I mean, and those Delaware are big. They're big and they're gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she went in the coop today and there were some weird noises coming out from the back. And I walked back there and then everybody ran to the gate and stopped. But a whole bunch ran out of the coop. 
This was like one o'clock in the well, afternoon. Minor coop wreckers. They oh, go yeah. in there with her and they kick everything out of the nest boxes. It just, it's a complete shambles. So Rita and the Andalusian still don't want to go in the coop at night. I think Katie, the speckled Sussex, is playing guard at the door. Oh boy. And I think I found out the problem. I have to figure out a way to get her to be not the guard, but maybe it'll just take some time. Yeah. They'll work it out. They'll work it out. It just, uh, we're putting everybody in manually. You know what else the Andalusians are really good at? And actually, Mary Berry is getting in on the action. They're chasing those squirrels. (laughs) You have mutant squirrels. I do. do. They're on it. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If you're listening to the show and loving it, do us a big favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And it also really helps us grow. You can also tell a chicken-loving friend about the podcast and share your favorite episodes on social media. You can visit our Etsy shop, check out our t-shirts and all the mugs that we have listed. We have our new designs up. Good Christmas gift for your favorite chicken lady. You can become a patron of the show. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership and a huge thank you to our most recent patrons. Oh, and you know what? Our Zoom calls are growing and I love it. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun. The best group of ladies ever. The highest level, which is the hen level, gets you a monthly Zoom call with us. Super fun. Yeah. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the chicken pot holders and the Ikea scrub brush. My chickens are going crazy over those grubbly grubs in that box. And the chicken note cards are going to be great to send into school with the teachers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery. Defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog, and don't forget, pre-orders start November 2022 for the spring 2023 season. Bum, bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 ba-dum, bum, bum, time for the Breed Spotlight, yeah! Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that. You started off one way and end another. You started off kind of country. It was the American. Oh, is that what it was? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. American for an American breed. Okay, so this week's Breed Spotlight is? The Ermanette. Have you heard of this chicken? 
I bet uh, you a lot of people out there listening probably have not. not. But yes, this is a chicken and it's an American breed. Mm-hmm. It is a little known American breed of chicken. And it's really super cute. Oh, yeah. Look at them. Look and Holly Ann has already said she can see this chicken in her flock. Yeah, but I don't have any room, man. <laughs> the, inn, the inn is so full, it's painful. We are picking out our chicks for next year from McMurray. Yes, we are. I'm having a, a serious, I would call it an internal struggle, but you and Pete have heard about it ad nauseum. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going with the Asiatics or the Mediterraneans this year. Oh, no. Which will it be? Asiatics. Should we put a vote out there? Have everybody vote? Well, that would be a problem because if they pick the Mediterraneans, I really don't have enough room for them. So it's, I think it's got to be the Asiatics. Anyway, the Ermanet was developed on the East Coast in the 19th century, so like the mid-1800s. Right. But they are mostly found in the Midwest now. They are a Midwest bird. They were almost extinct by like, the 1960s. Oh, man. But there were a few tiny pockets of breeders that held onto their flocks, and they usually passed them down through family and friends. Mm-hmm. The Ermanet is not APA accepted. And it looks like they have never been part of the APA. No. Now, some of the issue is that Ermanet is a color pattern. It's specifically black spots on white feathers. They're beautiful. Think 101 Dalmatians. That's what it looks like in a chicken. Yeah. Yeah. They're really pretty. Mostly you see chickens that are black with white spots. Right. But the white chickens with the black spots are really different and beautiful. It is actually the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. They're nice. So the pattern is the black spots on the white feathers. It looks like the white and black ermine in the weasel family. You know what I'm talking about? Not really. I want to say yes, but I don't. So think about like old paintings of royalty. Okay. And they would have like a purple robe trimmed with white fur that had black spots on it. Now I know exactly what you're talking about. That is fur from an ermine, which is a member of the weasel family. Oh, man. I know, right? I don't like that. Well, that's gone by the wayside, thank goodness. Thank God. And so that pattern, Mm -hmm. that particular color pattern is known as the ermanette color pattern. Oh, and that's where this chicken got the name. Right. Okay. Several people over time tried to develop an actual breed called the Ermanette Chicken. Okay. What they were doing was adding the color pattern to already existing breeds, but they were calling them another chicken entirely. Okay. So the interesting thing is that over time and essentially attrition, these other variations dropping out, they seem to have succeeded in producing a genetically distinct entity. Right, that has a whole standard of how they're bred. Yeah, yeah. So there's a small but active group of breeders, and one of them maintains the American Ermanet website. Okay. It's very nicely done. Check it out. Linked in the show notes. So they keep track of the 11 or so breeding flocks that are left in the so U.S. not that many? No, not that many 11 or so. They have written a breed standard, and the breeder who maintains the website has even written a book about the Ermanet. Oh, wow. An excellent book. It's on your book list. Oh, well, I already ordered it. <laughs> You can get it on Amazon. So I ordered it, but it has not arrived as of this recording. Did we add it to our Amazon storefront so that people can go on? It's right there if you want to buy it. They run a census Mm -hmm. every two years. Ermanets are large birds. They have white feathers with good-sized black spots. The standard calls for about 85% white feathers with the black spots covering about 15%. Which makes for a very pretty pattern. It's really beautiful. They have medium-sized straight combs and moderate-sized waddles. Red faces, red earlobes, and clean yellow legs. Now, we're going to talk about the legs for a second. At some point, there was Brahma and even some Cochin that was mixed in. Oh, we were talking about this the other day. And so for a period of time, and apparently even occasionally now, you'll get a feather-legged bird with your ermines. What I wouldn't have given for an ermine pattern on a Brahma or a Cochin. On many of our hours of phone conversations, we were talking about this the other day, and you're like, why did they breed it out? Yeah. 101 Dalmatian Brahma. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. I'd be like spotted chicken homestead. They have deep chests and long, broad backs. 
and they sound like they're truly gentle giants. Yeah. Roos can weigh up to nine and a half pounds. It's big. Yeah. And the hens are about seven and a half. So it's a quite large bird. You really can see the Asiatic stock. It's an armful to hug. Absolutely. Yeah. A gorgeous armful. There is also a red or gold ermanette that you can find in a few places, and that's a white bird with reddish gold spots. Wow. Yeah, really pretty. The various bits of history that I've found, and some of these are right from the website, I found in old poultry journals. Okay. And they mention a wide variety of possible foundation breeds. So the origin of this breed was apparently a smallish spotted chicken known as the West India or West Indian. It was imported to the U.S. in the mid-1800s, and it later went extinct. Oh. And other than the fact that it came from the West Indies, hence the names, the West India or West Indian chicken, we don't really know much about it. Somewhere I saw someone comparing it or thinking that maybe it could be something like the Exchequer Leghorn. That's kind of what this chicken reminds me of. But it didn't have a leghorn comb. Yeah. It had a smallish comb. But some of these do, like the boys have big combs. I don't think it's leghorn big, but it's big. No, it's not floppy. But I mean, it's pretty big. It's like, that's about the size of my Swedish flower and my Australorp roosters. They have combs and models that big. Yeah. Well, Ricardo, (laughs) the Jersey Giant, had one that size. So this chicken, the West Indian, carried that ermanet pattern, but they didn't breed true. Okay. So the first recorded cross or improvement of the breed that we have documentation of is from around the early 1870s. So there was a Brahma breeder in Connecticut. Right. His name is John Sutliff. And he used light Brahma hens to create the first version of the Ermanette. They were big, obviously. Yeah. They were big. Yeah. I mean, if you have a Brahma, it's going to be big. Yes. They had feather legs and they had the Ermanette pattern. And that's what I was wailing that this bird no longer exists. <laughs> yeah. He worked on them for a few years. I saw in a couple places that he may have added in a bit of spangled game hen. Right. I may have even seen a brown leghorn. But he worked on them for a few years. And then he finally began showing them in 1874. Coincidentally, that is the first printing of the APA Standard of Perfection. They weren't in it. And they were not in it. I did check. So Sutliff worked with the breed for a few more years, and then he sold his flock to his son-in-law. At about the same time, there were a few other breeders who crossed the West Indy birds with their own stock, including Wyandots, Cochins, and Plymouth Rocks. Okie dokie. That explains how you take what was quite a small bird. And make it big. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the Brahma, but that's kind of gotten bred out. But you put it, bring a wine dot and a Plymouth Rock and, and a, a Cochin. Yeah, yeah. big chickens. Big chickens, yep. yeah. And at that time, everyone was throwing Asiatic blood into chickens. Yeah, they wanted to beef them up. Yeah. So they used those birds. So a little later, there was a breeder in Pennsylvania who developed a rosecomb ermanette. I would guess that is wine dot. I would guess so too. Because of all this adding breeds in and out, the waters quickly became muddy and each breeder was declaring his own birds to be the Ermanet breed. That seems pretty muddy to me. Yeah. Over time, this has simply come down to breeding whichever Ermanet strains were left in order to keep the breed alive. Right. So again, they've probably formed their own genetic entity by now. In 1964, F.B. Hutt conducted research on the genetics of the Ermanet and his findings were published in the Oxford Journal of Heredity. So the Ermanet genetics work in a way that's similar to the genetics for blue chickens. When you breed two Ermanet patterned Ermanets together, okay. you get 50% spotted. The other 50% is a mix of solid black birds and solid white birds. And then what do you do with those solid white and solid black? Well, if you breed a white Ermanet and a black Ermanet, then you get all Ermanet. 
all the research that you've done is telling me it's a hard bird to get like a standard, basically. This is where FB Hut comes in. So what was happening is people were assuming that the black birds had two copies of the black gene right. and the white birds had two copies of the white genes and they were incompletely dominant over each other. Right. And so you ended up with the white and the black. But we all know that's not the case. That's not how things work. Right. And so essentially his research went deeper and it became more nuanced. Essentially right. what he was saying was, look, it's not a case of incomplete dominance of one or the other. There are modifying genes in there. Right. It's if a you have one black gene and a spotted gene, that black gene could be dominant over and then you're not even going to tell that it had spotted gene in it. I suppose it's possible. Simply put, in the spotted bird, the white gene is not completely dominant over the black. It is modified in some way to produce the black spots or black feathers. That's an oversimplification of Hutt's research, but that's kind of the bottom line. Right. So interestingly enough, if you're doing research for the Erminette chicken, you come up with lots of references of the Erminette chicken in science classes. Essentially, classes were using the Erminette genetics to fill Mendel's Punnett squares. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a classic way of which genetic thing right. is going to be stronger than the other exactly. and how they're going to come out. We did that in high school. Do you remember what we did it with? I don't. Peas. Oh. Thank you, Rhonder, for educating <laughs> us on the hybridization of I peas. I don't remember that one. Yeah, we did peas. Yep. The early 20th century history of this breed is pretty well captured on the Erminette website. And again, I'll have that linked in the show notes. Right. I mean, you can go on there and see all the bird colors, read the history. It's, it's very, very well done. So the breed was in trouble. And the Society for the Preservation of Poultry Antiquities had put out a call, essentially to the members to find breeding stock, if they knew of any ermanet right. breeding stock. There was a breeder named Ron Nelson who has since passed away. But apparently, he was out driving in the Wisconsin countryside okay. in about 2010. And he spotted a flock of ermanets on his little farm. So he stops to talk to the owner, and she told him that she kept the flock that was passed down from her father and her grandfather. He got some hatching eggs, and he started some dedicated conservation breeding. Good for him. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's not around anymore, but... He's not, but we'll talk in a little while when we talk about sources, we'll tell you where to find some oh, of the yeah. existing breeders. It is a small group. Yeah, but they are very dedicated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like that. You have to be dedicated to save an animal. You have to be. So what's the Ermanette good at doing? <laughs> what is it good at doing? You tell me. Well, they're a very good dual purpose breed and they would make a great homestead addition. They do go broody. Yep. So remember that everybody. So if you're looking for a hen that you don't want to go broody, yeah. this one has a tendency to go broody, but they're good moms. So that's also a good thing. And they're very good layers. They're surprisingly good layers given their size. 200 or more creamy to light brown eggs per year. They make my very good. Yeah. Just get in there with that 200. If you like a lot of eggs. Yeah. This might be a chicken for you also. Absolutely. This is a beautiful layer to add to your flock if you can get your hands on that. The other thing is they're known to be very gentle and friendly. So if you have children, if you have a homestead, yep. they'll be a welcome addition. Yeah, they're sure. supposed to have wonderful personalities. I even read that the roosters have wonderful personalities yeah. and they're very handsome. And the other thing is they're photogenic. So they're beautiful chickens. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. And they would be great for a conservation effort. Absolutely. They can't be shown. But, but I mean, really, who of us is really showing all of our chickens? We're just hugging them, man. <laughs> our regular listeners are probably, you know, kids showing in 4-H. I don't know that any of our regular listeners will be breeding specifically for the show ring. Right. It's too bad because they are a gorgeous chicken. They but are. if they have a standard, maybe one of these days I'll make it into the APA. So let's tell everybody where you can find the Ermanette. Okay, so Sand Hill Preservation, which Shocker. is in, right, it's in Iowa, so it's in the Midwest in this area, sells both the black and white Ermanettes, and they do have a small flock of the red and gold. 
Yeah. So do yourself a favor as you're listening to this, pull it up on your computer uh-huh. or your phone or your iPad, whatever you're on, and look at this chicken because you're going to fall in love with the way they look. Oh, they're so pretty. Now, Santo Preservation is straight run, of course. Everything is over there. Right. So they're straight run. But they're your best option if you have to have chicks shipped to you. Right. Unless you're in the Midwest and you're willing to drive. Check the American Ermanet website for breeders. Breeders are listed there. Or a simple Google search. Yeah. I searched literally for buy Ermanet chickens. Right. And it brought me up a small handful of breeders. Just now with one, I was clicking on pictures to look. And when you do, some of them, they come up, you can buy hatching eggs. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. You can have eggs shipped to you if you're willing to go that route as right. well. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know what the fertility rate is, but with a breed like this, you just put them in the incubator and hold your breath and hope for the best. Exactly. Usually, our Canadian friends are completely out of luck when we have a rare American chicken like this. This time they're not. I don't know. DC Heritage Poultry does maintain a flock of Ermanets and they do sell. They're beautiful chickens. If you like taking pictures of your chickens, if you like a beautiful chicken that lays a lot of eggs, this could be a chicken for you, a friendly chicken. They're really cute. They really are. If I mean, your I think they're wasn't beautiful. Full, you would be getting them right now. I really do like them a lot to the point where I'm frustrated that, that your inn's full. Yeah, the, well, my inn is so full. <laughs> My <laughs> is bursting at the seams. And yet, I'm going to add Asiatics. <laughs> I really do think that I'm going Langshan, Cochin, Brahma this year. Yeah. I mean, it's a big decision because we're at a point where we have to be so selective to what we add because we don't have all the space that we had in the right. beginning. So adding what we want to add is it's very selective. In my case, it's one of those homestead decisions. We've yeah. decided that this year we're going to be spending a lot more time doing things with the sheep. Yeah. Fencing and, you know, th- things of that nature. So we just might go with a handful of beautiful Asiatics. There's still room in that coop. And mama loves those Brahmas and Cochins. (laughs) So that is a beautiful Ermanette. Check them out. Check them out. They're beautiful. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosty's store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosty's range or follow the link in our show notes. And now we're ready for main topic. Yeah. Yeah. This week, it's time for our monthly roundtable with our friend Fiona. Enjoy. Coffee with Fiona. Yeah. 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 Did I get it? Yes, we got it. (laughs) So Fiona is back this month for our roundtable. Hello, Fiona. How are you doing? I'm really good, but we're in flockdown because we're in England. No, I know, sorry. I know, it's all oh, over yes, again. No. Fourth year on the go. Well, it's not fourth year running, it's third year running, but it's the fourth year we've had to do this. So okay. we're kind of used to it now. Yeah, 
it's a depressing thought, but we, I, I feel like we all need to be prepared for it. Yes. Yeah. So just to explain to anyone that's listening, thinking, what the hell is Flockdown? <laughs> Flockdown. <laughs> Flockdown is the UK government telling us that we've either got to keep our chickens indoors or under fully netted enclosures to try and reduce the spread of avian influenza in the UK. And it usually happens to you first. And then we usually, we don't have flock down here, but we do have to take similar precautions over the winter months as we have migratory birds that travel the world and spread avian influenza. And it's just now over the last few years become a real big problem worldwide. It's not one that we like, but being prepared, not scared. That's the way to protect your birds and keep yourself sane during all of this. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a horrible disease. It's not nice. But let's talk about good stuff because that's just depressing. Yeah, it is. So what we're going to be talking about for our roundtable this month, breeders and what you need to know and do before purchasing your chicks or chickens or pullets from breeders. And this came out of a listener question. We had a listener who is interested in buying from local breeders and she really wanted some feedback on what to look for when you are choosing to buy from a breeder instead of, say, a hatchery. So we went right to the expert. (laughs) We said, we know the lady to talk to about this. And And I said, I have a video about that. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, we will have your video linked in the show notes, or you can just go straight to Fiona's YouTube channel, English Country Life. Let's start with where are some of the places everyone's going to go to look for their chicks, their chickens, their pullets. Well, there's three main categories. So there's the big commercial hatcheries that everyone knows about. There's the retailers where you can go along and you can pick your chicks. Or in the UK, you would pick your chickens out. Or there's the small backyard amateur breeder. And I get asked a lot what's best, which is the best one to go to. And the reality is some of them are great and some of them are bad in every single one of those categories. So it's more a case of doing your research beforehand and research really pays off. So do they have a website? You know, how much research can you do without actually calling them up? So if they're a backyard breeder, they'll probably have an Instagram page and there's a lot you can tell from Instagram. They'll probably have a Facebook page or even a a Twitter account. Some of them have got, like we have, they've got a website and you can have a look to see what conditions they kept in. Even with the large commercial hatcheries, are you seeing lovely clean conditions? Are you seeing overcrowding? Are you seeing chickens that look like they're energetic or want to be close to the camera? Or are you seeing them cowering in a corner with red flash in their eyes because, you know, they're essentially in semi-darkness a lot of the time? So there's a lot that you can tell just by doing that research and go to your reviews as well. There's going to be someone out there. If somebody's not happy, even with a backyard breeder, there's going to be an online review saying don't buy from them. So a lot of people here in the UK will buy from prelove.com. They will buy eggs off eBay, for example. Look at those ratings. Look at those reviews. The commercial hatcheries as well. You know, you can go to Trust Review, one of those, and have a look and see what other people have said. Because if they've got really beautiful, healthy chickens, they'll tell you about it. If they've got chickens that have suddenly become very ill very quickly, they'll also tell you all about it. Yeah. And it's just a case of listening to the warning bells. So the other thing I was going to say is when you go into the commercial farm supply stores that actually carry chicks, 
You can inquire there right. what hatchery they're getting their chicks from. And then you can look at the store itself, look around and see their conditions are in. And I would add to that, ask if they're vaccinated. Oh, definitely. And if they are, which vaccines? Yes, for yeah. sure. There are some health questions to ask all three anyway. So mm-hmm. there is the case of have they been wormed? I mean, they may not be old enough. If you're buying chicks, clearly they're not right. going to be old enough. Right. But in the UK, people tend to buy point of lace, so they're quite a bit older. So you would want to know if they've been wormed. Have they been vaccinated? If they're a backyard breeder, the likelihood is for most things they probably won't have. Because the vaccines tend to be for very large quantities and have to be administered in a very short period of time. Yeah. But you can easily find these things out. And what kind of biosecurity do they have? So are they asking you to wear gloves when you handle the chicks, for example? Because the other thing is, if you go into a retailer and everybody can go in and pick the chicks up, You don't know whether that person who's come in has got something wrong with their existing hens. You don't know whether they're bringing in red mite or chicken lice. It's a risk that that could happen. So it's always something to be aware of. We as small breeders always ask people to wash their shoes with disinfectant when they arrive. We generally ask people actually to come in brand new footwear that hasn't been around the chickens before and freshly laundered clothes so that we can maintain the biosecurity. Those are the types of things to bear in mind health-wise because you want to be picking up lovely healthy chicks that aren't going to keel over within a a couple of weeks. We talk about our local feed stores called The Mill. And even in the bigger feed stores, farm supply stores, you're not allowed to handle the chicks, which is an excellent biosecurity measure in place. Everyone thinks it's like, oh, we should be able to hold the chicks. But no, these chicks are only a day to two days old. They don't need to be held. And wherever you've come from, you can give them something and then passes on that way. So that's one thing to look for that's really easy. If you see a lot of people handling these chicks, Stay away because yeah, ring alarm bells very easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what kind of food are they fed as well? Because you know, if they're a little bit older, it could be that they're on grower finishers, or it could be that they're on chick crumbs still. Right. It could be in the UK they're on chick micro pellets, which is slightly different. Or it could even be down to the brand, because if you're switching brands, it could be a completely different formulation, which could upset the tummies of something as small as a chick. So it's useful to know that kind of stuff. So Fiona, since my personal interest is breeding heritage breeds, let's say you're new to this and you want to get your first breeding quartet of heritage breeds. Is it appropriate to ask to see the parents of the chickens you're going to be picking up? Oh, I would. I would too. If you've never done this before, how do you go about asking, are these chickens up to the breed standard? Well, I think what you can say is, first of all, can you tell me about the genetics? Is it an unrelated cockerel you're using or is it a generation back that's unrelated? How have you actually made that happen? And it's useful then to understand if you're looking for a show bird, if you want really high standards, have they actually shown at all? We don't show our birds. And it's perfectly acceptable for people to say we don't show. But what they should be able to tell you is this is how close we are to the breed standard. So, for example, with the Orpine Terns, we've got no yellow legs. We have got the cockles with the, you know, their short wings that are held closely to their body, the big fluffy pantaloons, and you can't see the hawks. The feathers cover their hawks. 
There's no feathering on the legs. So all of these things which you'd expect to see in the breed standard, they should be able to explain. And, you know, if you want to, if you're not sure how to put it across, say that you're brand new to this. Do your research beforehand. Go to the club for the breed. Look at what the breed standard should be. And then say to them, I'm new to this. I'd really like some really high quality, show quality Orpingtons, for example. And how close are yours to the breed standard? But I'm new to this, so can you help me with it? Mm -hmm. And just let them talk you through it. And then you should be able to work out from what they're telling you compared to the research that you've done, Mm -hmm. how close the two match. And then you can work out whether you can trust these guys as breeders. Right. And it's not that I'm being untrusting. It's just, you know, if you're serious about this and you really want to get close to the breed standard, you don't know the people involved. Right. So it's not a bad thing to ask those questions. You do that if you were buying a pedigree dog or a pedigree horse or pedigree sheep. You'd be asking these questions. You'd be doing that research. So don't be embarrassed about doing the same in a lot of people's language just because it's a chicken. It's just as important to you. And if you have a bad gut feeling, go with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gut never leads you wrong. So if you go somewhere and you visit and you're saying to yourself, I don't get good vibes here, I would listen to my gut and walk away. I also feel like if you're a breeder, let's say I'm selling nankins. I feel better selling my birds to somebody who's interested in those things, who wants to know how my birds fit in the breed standard. I'm sure you feel the same way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is if you're actually then going to the breeder themselves to see where they're kept, if they are reluctant to show you where they normally live, because most people, if they're selling you chickens, will actually remove them from the main flock and put Mm -hmm. them into almost like a showing area. Just from a biosecurity point of view, right? that's what we do. But we also take people out to the edge of the field and say, this is where they normally live. We don't take them in because of the biosecurity, but they can see where they normally live. Mm-hmm. And if the breeder is reluctant to do that, it should ring some alarm bells. Yeah. And it's okay to say, I'm sorry, I don't think this is for me and walk away because there are lots of really good breeders out there commercial, retail, and backyard breeders. Right. For sure. Yeah. I'm one that always relies on if something doesn't feel right, walk the other way. Vaccinating chicks, that's another big question, especially here in the US, that a lot of people will have. And let's go over what vaccines are actually available to someone who's going to be going in and and getting a chicken. The Merrick's vaccine is one. Coccidiosis, they're the big two here. They're the big two here. For the coccidiosis, you can get medicated feed, which will reduce the risks. It yes, right. It's not a vaccine, but it will reduce the risk. So it is worth bearing in mind if you are deciding to go with a backyard breeder, it's unlikely that their chickens will be vaccinated. Right. And it's, that's good for people to know also. It is, yeah. And the coccidiosis vaccine specifically has just become available here in some of the bigger commercial hatcheries. One of which is yeah. McMurray hatcheries. Right. So it's pretty new. I mean, I think it's a really good thing for people who are, for whatever reason, opposed to feeding the medicated feed. I mean, up until now, since we started getting McMurray birds, I've always fed the medicated feed. Me too. I always use medicated feed too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to be reluctant to tell people because it's such a polarizing issue. It is. I don't understand why. I've stopped being cagey about it now. I always use medicated feed for the chicks. 
it's too much of a risk. They are tiny little things which are incredibly vulnerable. Yes. And, you know, they need that extra protection. That's my point of view. Right. And the thing to remember for the coccidiosis vaccine is here in the States, if you do get your chick and it's vaccinated for coccidiosis, you do not want to feed the medicated feed because it affects the way the vaccine works. Right. So those things are very important to find out. Like we said, McMurray Hatchery here does offer it. We have our chicks vaccinated through them. It's also a good idea to ask if they've ever had a case Mm -hmm. of coccidiosis or Marex. I would also ask, have you had recent incidents of red mite or chicken lice or the pests as well? Every chicken keeper at some point is going to get one of these pesky little critters on their chicken's body. What's important is, is it recent? You and I both know how hard it is to get rid of these things. So it's recent. It's possible what you're buying could potentially still have something on it. Right, exactly. I wouldn't buy either. When it comes to the vaccines, it's very hard to get vaccines in small quantities Mm. and you have to vaccinate the chicks in a day. But if you're going the backyard breeder, chances are that here, they're definitely not going to be vaccinated. Right. We were talking to Dr. Rebecca about when we talked to her about Merrick's, the vaccine and how hard it is because they sell it to you in such large quantity. It's not expensive. Right. But then you have to almost burn it to dispose of it. And And you're wasting thousands of doses. Exactly. So it's really tough for a backyard breeder that's going to have just, you know, 20 birds or however many. But there are the minimum quantity a thousand birds, something of of something like that. But there are backyard breeders that do definitely vaccinate. I mean, if it's important to you, this is one of the questions and one of the research, along with like Fiona said, where to go, their social media page, their website. Call them directly, email them directly and say, hey, I'm in the area. I want to visit your housing. I want to see. Don't be afraid to ask these things because it's not just a chicken. Like you said, Fiona, it's it's a little living creature that we love so much. And it's important to know where they're coming from. Now, if we could get our Orpies from you, we would, (laughs) but we can't. I'm like heartbroken. I'm like, I need some of Fiona's Orpingtons. The amount of people that actually contact me on social media and saying, will you export them to (laughs) blah country, you know, the US, Australia, Middle East, you name it, I've been asked to ship them out. And every single time I'll say, I will not ship them outside the UK. And even then you need to come and get them. Right. Because I just, I just don't think it's fair that amount of travel for a chicken, you know, in a, in a noisy aircraft um, hold as well. I just couldn't do that to them. I really couldn't. I mean, yeah. can they come on the plane as a therapy chicken for on the way home? When we come to visit you, we have to bring some more pigeons <laughs> back. We need to make them a rhinestone harness. It says therapy chicken. <laughs> therapy chicken. <laughs> I have to say that English Orpingtons really are some of the most beautiful chickens out there. English Orpingtons up to standard are. And yours are. Absolutely gorgeous. The people around you in the UK are very lucky to have you as a breeder. Thank you. And be able to go to you and check out your beautiful chickens. The thing is, when we sell chickens, we actually sell specific chickens to people. It's not like people ring us up and say, I'd like to have six. And we say, oh, we'll just pick six out for you. It's okay. You'll get that one, this one, the other one. It's very specific chickens, which they get. And they get photographed before the time if they want them. Of course. (laughs) Who wouldn't want them? Of course you want them. Well, they get to see the pictures first and make sure they want them. But I don't know who wouldn't. You do pick that because you sell your chickens as pullets. So they grow up together. 
And there are yeah. some that are more bonded together than mm-hmm. others. And you do the really responsible thing of keeping those together and sending yeah. them to the same home, which we love because right. you take the feelings of the chicken into play, yeah. which is amazing. We, we don't, unless they're sleeping in the same coop together, they don't get sold as a group. It's as simple as that. Dawson Tress actually went very recently to a lovely new home. Nice. So I'm really, really pleased about where they've gone. Do you find um, that the people keep the names that you give them or do they change them or you don't know? Sometimes they change them. One lady bought, do you remember we had custard, uh-huh. the Crested Cream Leg Bar, mm-hmm. uh, chocolate, the Buffalo Pinkton, and pepper, the Well Summer. Yes. They were sold together as a group and uh, the lady kept their names. Nice. Doss and Tress are keeping their names. But a local farmer bought some of our chickens for their young son. He actually got Pelican, who was Limpy Chick, who okay. he then named Pelican. But Pelican's not called Pelican anymore. Oh, no. Okay. No. Do you know the new name? I don't, actually, but she's been texting me because she only lives up the road. And they're a lovely family, so uh, they're nice. turning into very good friends. But no, they did keep the name of one of the hens, who I had nicknamed Golden Girl. And... Um, <laughs> She retained that name, but uh, Pelican's not called Pelican anymore. So one of the other things that pops up when you're talking about evaluating breeders is testing. Here in the U.S., you can get your MPIP certification, and that is a voluntary program where you can have your chickens tested for a variety of diseases. And you can say to buyers, I am MPIP certified. My understanding that is enables you to be able to ship the chicken. Exactly. That's my understanding is that if you are looking to move them interstate, you do need to have your MPIP yes. certification. But if you just want to sell out of your backyard, you can without the testing. Do you have anything like that there? Not that I'm aware of. The only registrations in, in the UK, if you have more than 50 poultry of any type at any point during the year, that's in total. So if you have 40 chickens and 15 ducks, You have to be registered with DEFRA. You have no choice. Below that, you can voluntarily register with DEFRA. And DEFRA is Department of the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. And there are rules as well if you've got, I think, more than 500 birds. But there isn't a licensing that I am aware of. There may be for the big commercial guys, but certainly not that I'm aware of as a buyer of chickens or chicks for me as an individual. I think for the states, it is because you're trying to cut down on unhealthiness going from state to state. Yeah, crossing state lines. Crossing state lines. So that is in place. They come in, your hatchery, however small it is, has to be inspected. All the birds are inspected. The the blood blood tests, tests. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember the UK is smaller than many of your states. Right. That was one of the things when we were looking for a very small backyard hatchery Mm -hmm. last year, we made sure that they were NPIP certified. Right. And it was one of the important things to us. And we did our research also. You have to do research. You have to ask the questions. The questions are, what are the standards that they're living in? Do you vaccinate? Can I visit? What are you feeding them? What are you feeding them? What are the bloodlines? Can we meet the parents? Mm -hmm. 
a lot of things that you would think are common sense. Right. And actually, even the feeders and drinkers, think about those as well, because if you have, for example, you know, those nipple drinkers, which just give the little drops of water, but they've only ever used a standard drinker, you're going to have to teach them that actually the water doesn't come from ground level. The water comes from this thing a little bit further up and you're only going to get a drop rather than wet your beak. So these kind of things it's worth knowing about. I mean, I always tell buyers that ours are treadle feeder trained Mm -hmm. because sometimes they have treadle feeders, sometimes they don't. If you're moving from a treadle feeder to an open feeder, it's less of an issue than you're moving from an open feeder to a treadle feeder. Yeah. But so many more people are going to treadle feeders, it's worth me telling them that they already know how to use them. If you're ever here getting a one-day-old chick, those things won't come into play as much. Right. Now, yeah. if you are getting grow outs, I'd be thrilled to get a chicken that was already trained to use a treadle feeder. That, that sounds yeah. pretty good. <laughs> that sounds really good. So on a slightly different note, Fiona, now you are mostly selling grow outs. You're not usually selling chicks. Because over yeah. here, one of the issues people run into is that if you buy from a hatchery and you get a rooster by accident, they usually refund your money. Most yeah. people are not going to take a rooster back. We heard a story recently, someone who got a rooster from the breeder and the breeder was just not helpful. And I know it's not an issue for you. So I guess I'm trying to figure out the best way to tell someone. Say, what would your policy be? Should it happen that I end up with a cockerel and not a hen? So it would never happen to us, first of all, because we never, ever sell our youngsters as chicks because they were broody hens. We wait until the broody hen makes those youngsters independent, by which time they're normally eight to 10 weeks old. And it's obvious whether they're hens or cockles at that stage. But it could be that that seller says, we're not going to bring them back live onto the property. Now, in which case you're going to have to ask, what are your arrangements in, in that case? Do I have to sort it out myself? Will you make arrangements? What is the scenario? And you can make a decision based on their answer about what's right for you, because if you're able to rehome them, great. If you're able to dispatch, if that's your only option, that's something which you could do. But if you can do neither of those, because rehoming for cockles is a nightmare. People just do not want them. It's really very, very difficult compared to hens. It's not impossible, but it's improbable. And you can just decide on what's best for you. If you can't do either of those things, don't buy from that seller. I think the best way to put this is if you're trying to evaluate a breeder, regardless of the source, you need to have your rooster plan. Because unless you're buying crested cream leg bars or you're buying grow out so that you're sure, there's always a rooster risk. So ask the breeder if they have a policy and then you have to be responsible and have your rooster plan. Right. I'm just going to stick my hand up with the crested cream leg bar as well. Because bear in mind, if you're buying from a backyard breeder, as we do for our crested cream leg bars, he does not breed to breed standard. And our last set, bramble, custard, rhubarb and crumble were all supposed to be boys. Oh, Every single last one of those four was supposed to be boys, and they were all girls. They all did not have defined stripes. They all had a dot on their heads. Well, I guess maybe some of that comes down to breeder evaluation. That's what I was going to say. That is the quality of the breeder evaluation at that point. Yeah, but all we cared about was powder blue eggs. That's all we wanted, and we got powder blue eggs. We were never going to show them. 
but it's something to be wary of that particularly with backyard breeders they're not necessarily breeding so close to the breed standard and those breeds which are supposed to be auto-sexing you can have problems In that case, you really have to do your due diligence to make sure if you can only have females and you want to go the cream leg bar route, you need to make sure that their bloodlines are definitely sexually dimorphic upon hatch. I would be looking for somebody who has shown their birds Mm. and won at shows with those birds. That's the other question is experience in your breeder. How long have you been doing this? Is it someone that just started this year that might not have the experience of what you're looking for in a breeder? Or is it someone like Fiona that's been doing it for a very long time? So that's another question. If it's not right on the website, you know, a lot of hatcheries change hands, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. They keep the same name, but they're sold and then they go to different people. So you have to then look into was this hatchery sold? I mean, you can really go down a rabbit hole and do a lot of research if that's what you want to do and find out a lot of stuff. I still buy from the same guy who we bought from. We've had three different sets of Crested Cream Leg Bells from him. (laughs) All of them, we grow them on to maturity. So actually, it's not an issue for us when they come out of the egg, whether they're male or female anyway. It is about you as an individual. What do you want to do? Do you think it's important as a new buyer that you have a good chemistry and rapport with the breeder you're buying from? It's that gut feel that Chris was talking about. If you don't have that good rapport, generally there's something in the back of your mind going, I'm not happy, I'm Mm -hmm. not comfortable, there's something not quite right, Right. it doesn't add up. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Just don't take the risk because these creatures will be part of your home will be your beloved family pets for a long period of time. So get it right. You know, I have gotten livestock. Now, remember, I did a lot of rescue work with llamas and alpacas, but I've gotten both sheep and llamas and alpacas from people where my gut was saying, oh my God, no. The reason I got them is because I was experienced enough and had facilities to quarantine them that I knew I could deal with whatever they came with. Even I, with all my experience, won't do that with chickens because chickens can carry pathogens that you can't detect until it's too late. And they spread very easily. Very easily. A lot easier to your entire flock. So you could bring one chicken in, not realize it, and take out your entire flock. Mycoplasma, Merix, any of those things. Oh, and do those health checks when you pick them up as well. Look for discharge from the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and whatever you do, check the vent every single time. Is it clean? Is the sign of diarrhea or crusting? Can you see anything moving? See anything moving? Put it down. And a good breeder should be willing to let you do those health checks. You should be suspicious if the breeder says, no, you cannot give them the same thing when I was looking for preschools. Now, keep in mind, Sophia just got accepted to her first college last night, but (laughs) we were looking for preschools for Sophia. Uh We went and we did not call first. We went to the preschool and we said, can we come in? And there were a few that said no. Okay. And we simply checked off, like never even looked back. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you look at the chicks and your kids are kind of the same. Like if somebody's not going to let you in, there's a reason. Take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's saying, no, you can't see my conditions or you can't see- Or you can't do a health check. You can't do a health check. There's a reason. I can't imagine anyone selling a chicken and not allowing someone to do a health check. I have heard of it happening around here where the seller was just like, do you want this chicken or not? If that happens to you, walk away. we would have to advise against that. Yeah, yeah. I would walk away from that. 
there's no way I'm going to risk bringing pathogens into my farm. Right. Absolutely. I wouldn't either. I can't stress enough. When you go to your farm supply store, big or small, ask what hatchery Uh these birds are coming from because then you can even further research the hatchery and say, okay, did they vaccinate the mill, which is our local store? They get from a hatchery that does vaccinate. We're lucky. Right. But if you go to a bigger chain store, those are not vaccinated chicks. Right. So you have to ask those questions. It doesn't matter that it's a commercial chain store or a small feed store or a hatchery or a backyard breeder. Ask the same questions across the Mm -hmm. board. Do you seriously have places who don't allow people to health Um, check the chickens? I've seen it at poultry swaps and places like that. I mean, even at poultry swaps, I mean, you'd want to pick the bird up and check it over, surely. Most of the people selling there are great, but I've seen a couple who were really short with people and were like, no, are you going to buy this bird or not? And that's another thing that we did not mention in this are poultry swaps. Well, we can quickly. Poultry swaps, you're going to ask those people that you're buying from the same exact questions that you're asking a breeder. I don't know about poultry swaps in other states, but the Maryland poultry swap, the names of the vendors and their websites are released ahead of time. So you can actually do some research on them before you go. In a lot of cases, you can actually even email that vendor and Mm -hmm. most of them will welcome that. Are you going to be selling this bird? You know, how close to the standard are the parents? Uh, What have they been eating? All of that stuff. It's not a problem in the UK. Those have been banned for two years anyway because of avian influenza. So We've been surprised. Ours are still going. But those are the things. Do the research beforehand. You can even call and reach out to the people before the swap. Do your due diligence and ask the questions, especially if you already have an existing flock. You don't want to bring chicks or chickens or pullets in that have problems. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So we all want Orpingtons from Fiona. <laughs> I still want I don't know how we would make it happen. I mean, I've also asked about sending fertilized eggs around the world as well. And I have to keep telling people about the negative air pressure. They're just not going to survive. And I'm not going to sell eggs to people that I know aren't going to hatch. Just not going to do it. It just no. seems like a total waste. Why that would does, you do that? That seems like a waste. Of well, all. I do have quite a lot of people coming back saying, I'll take the risk. It's absolutely fine. But I just feel it's wrong to sell something which I don't think is going to hatch. So I just don't do it. Yeah. The so funniest you- thing, when, it, when I sold Doss and Tress, the amount of people that reached out and said, where's Uno? Is Uno okay? What's happened to Uno? (laughs) Uno's fine. Uno's staying. Uno looks like the majority of the other youngsters now. It's getting actually quite difficult when she's in the group to tell her apart because she's almost the same size as them now. Overall, how was your crop of youngsters this year? Really good. We've kept three because obviously every year we sell some on and keep some. Right. So this year, rather than keeping eight, we're only keeping six because the amount of chicks we had this year was just beyond, and we just don't want that many. And the thing is, because of the way we've been breeding them, we've been breeding the broodiness back in. So while Mm -hmm. most people will get two out of three of their Orpingtons will brood, 100% of ours brood now. So we're keeping six. So Three from last year are staying. So licorice, jelly bean and taffy are staying with us. And we've got three unnamed youngsters. And by the time this goes out, they will have names because we've got a competition at the yeah. at the time of recording. We've got a competition out there. So oh, and we've asked for entries. So we'll see what happens. We are keeping a short list as we go through. 
we have a set of, I think there's about 10 at the moment, which we really like. And it's going to be difficult to choose between them. But yeah, the more options we can get, the better. Well, thank you, Fiona, for coming and joining us again this month for a roundtable. You know I love talking to you. We will definitely have you back next month and we'll catch up then. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. We just want to say thank you to Fiona one more time. We always love having a roundtable with you. I hope some of our listeners get to take away some valuable stuff from her advice. Such a wonderful friend to the show. Absolutely. And don't forget to check out her YouTube channel, English Country Life. There are links in the show notes. Those videos are gorgeous. Along with her Warpingtons too. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. This month, we're doing Holly's Thanksgiving dishes. Last year, we did my Thanksgiving dishes. And they're all on the website. Just scroll back to November of last year. Whatever you yep. want. There's a plethora. There's two years of Thanksgiving Absolutely. recipes. This week, we're doing my sausage, apple, and bread stuffing. Sounds so good. Now, my stuffing has apple in it, too. Yeah. Apple is really great in stuffing. Oh, it's fantastic. I will say that when I started making this, this is kind of like your stuffing. This is a do-over of my mom's stuffing. Okay. And so- Mine was a do-over of my mom's stuffing, too. That's what too. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So when I started making this, it was before I knew that I had celiac disease and it was before I became a vegetarian because I started making this as a teenager. So the sausage, I simply substitute. I like specifically the sweet Italian sausage made by Beyond Sausage. Okay. It renders fat just like regular sausage. It's delicious. If you're a meat eater, the world is your oyster, so to speak. You could do a sweet Italian. You could do a bratwurst. You know, you could really do whatever kind of sausage you want. Make it spicy. That's what Joe would do. Yeah. But we digress. So for this one, you need a loaf of bread or a loaf of gluten-free bread cut into about one inch cubes. Okay. Or you can buy a bag of gluten-free bread comes a regular breadcrumbs because we're not going to judge you. Nope. You want a pound of the sausage. You're going to need two eggs, which seems weird. And I'll tell you the reason for that. So my mom used to make a ton of stuffing and some of it would go in the turkey. Okay. And some of it she would bake. And the stuff that she baked, she would pour stock and then a couple of beaten eggs over top. And it made it nice and moist. You don't want to mix it to the point that it becomes glommed together like a big mess. Exactly. You gently mix it in. Yeah. It's delicious. You need a cup of diced onion, a cup of diced celery, a cup of diced carrot. An apple. Peeled and cored. Butter, garlic cloves, chopped, and stock. So if you're vegetarian, you can use veggie or chicken stock or turkey stock, whatever whatever. your choice. Mm -hmm. And then some herbs. You can use dried. We always have herbs in the garden. I do too, always. So parsley, sage, thyme, and rosemary, the classic quartet. And then some salt and pepper to taste. Yeah. It's pretty easy, really. So the first thing you're going to do, if you've bought the bread cubes dried, you can skip this step. Right. Otherwise- Bake them. Right. Bake them for 10 minutes, and then you're going to transfer them to a large bowl. You want a big casserole dish for this. I'll tell you right now, if you are doubling this recipe- Go to the store and buy one of those gigantic oval tinfoil roasters because you need something really big to mix this. One recipe, you're fine. Doubled, you want that. Yeah. The other really good thing about this recipe is you can do a lot of it the day before. I love stuff like that for Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, you can cook the sausage and then you can chop the herbs and veggies. Actually, you can do everything up to mixing in the stocks and the egg the day before. You can have it ready to go. Yeah. So cook the sausage in a large skillet until it's completely browned and cooked through. Then you're going to use a slotted spoon to remove it, and you're going to leave the sausage fat in the skillet. Okay. You're going to cook your veggies in there. You're going to add your butter to that, and then you're going to cook your veggies in that mixture. I always use olive oil for all my vegetables, Uh except for soups and Thanksgiving. Yep. 
Then I use butter. Uh, me too. Because then I'm like, it's a treat. It's not, we're not looking at calorie saving that day. You're just making delicious stuff. And yeah. of course, I'm using non-dairy butter because I can't have the dairy. Yeah. So you're going to put the veggies in there. You're going to cook them until they're soft. Then you're going to add the herbs and the salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Mix it all together. Then add them to the bread and the sausage in the bowl. Right. You know, flip it around a little bit yep. so it's mixed. Then you're going to beat those eggs a little bit. And you're going to pour the stock and the eggs over the stuffing. And again, you're going to mix it a little bit. Yeah. You don't want anything to congeal too much. Yeah. You want it moist. This is simulating the way it would come out of a turkey. Yeah, but you don't want like over moist. Exactly. Because it just gets kind of gross. So every year for a long time, we had a stuffing competition between myself and Joe Michelle. So we had two stuffings on Thanksgiving, one that was the standard that I make every single year, the apple raisin pumpkin muffin uh-huh. stuffing, which I have perfected. Right. And then they were trying to do a stuffing in competition. Okay. So this is one of the years that we were at Michelle's. They put way too much liquid in and it was like you could make a snowball. It almost becomes like a pudding. (laughs) Not even that. Like nothing they did. They kept trying to put it in the oven and nothing was drying that bad boy out. (laughs) I was like, you guys, I won. Well, actually more bread would have done it. They tried that. They tried everything. Oh my God. It was bad. Wow. And I won. Enjoyed a glass of wine and ate the good stuffing. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. It's so funny though. (laughs) And now they're kind of just like, "Uh, you can have the stuffing. I started off making it exactly the way my mom did, and then I added the apples. Though I will say, there have been a couple of years where I've gotten my hands on some really nice Asian persimmons, and I've used the yeah. persimmons in yeah. there. Also, absolutely delicious. Yeah. I love stuffing. It's one of my favorite things. Me so too. I love the mix of flavors. It's fun to try to make it different. Like, I took the breadcrumbs out of mine and made it from pumpkin muffins. Right. That's how I try to make it different from my mom. Yeah. Stuffing's one of my favorite things. So try this stuffing. You're going to heat it up so it's crunchy up top. So you bake it covered for like 30 or 35 minutes. If you like it crunchy on top, if you like the top layer to have a little bite to it, uncover it for like 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Let it brown up a little more on top. And then serve it and enjoy. It's so good. Yeah. So try it. See if you like it. Send us pictures. We'd love to see it. Okay. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. This week's retail therapy, we're going with... A little something fun for your Thanksgiving table. You can use it everywhere for Thanksgiving. Okay, so we're talking about hand-painted chicken gourds. So when we say hand-painted gourds, that's exactly what they are. Oh my God, they're so cute. There are gourds, usually like a long neck or a crook neck gourd that's been grown, hollowed out, and then you can paint the outside of it. And there are some painted that look just like chicken. They're really fancy. Actually, I even saw some Christmas ones. Yeah, there's Christmas ornaments that are chickens. Uh-huh. If you go to Etsy or even if you just Google. Just hand, Google it, yeah. Hand-painted chicken gourds. You will not believe the numbers of results you get. A plethora. Now, this would be amazing on your Thanksgiving table with your chicken dishes. They're oh so cute. There's so many of them. You just can't get enough of these things. There's one on here on eBay that's the folk art painted chicken gourd. It looks like a Buff Orpington rooster. <laughs> There's so many of them. You can't go wrong with this on your Thanksgiving table. I mean, really, even on an end table, you could drop it somewhere. There are some that are painted like folk painting, like paisley patterns on the chickens. And then there are some that are more realistic looking. Some of them have been made into birdhouses. So you can hang them out by your chicken run in a tree. If you want to grow these gourds, they're often called birdhouse gourds. You can get seeds for them. Because that's what they look like. Right. So you could really paint your own chicken gourd if you wanted to. Back when I was a librarian, in the last branch that I worked, we were an art branch and we had a local artist come in. She grew the really long crook neck gourds and she did, we ran a whole program where she taught people how to paint them like geese. 
Okay. So they were painted geese gourds. Super, super cute. You're going to find them anywhere. We're seeing little ones from $10 up to a group of them at $68. I see one big fancy one that's 85 Yeah. I mean, you could get expensive, but you know, you can try to stay within your price uh-huh. range. And these on a table or just somewhere in the fall would add a great centerpiece to your Thanksgiving with your chicken dishes, your chicken glasses, all those different things. They're super fun. There are a couple of them, small ones that are painted, probably to be Christmas ornaments, but you can hang them up for Thanksgiving. That, or, or you can use them on your Christmas tree absolutely. too. Absolutely. Use them for both. They, yeah. they reach through both holidays. What is this one right here? This is adorable. This is a Christmas. I saw that. The Christmas pattern. There's a rooster and a hen and they're a Christmas pattern. I love them. They are adorable. They they're have really a pretty. wreath painted around their neck. Uh-huh. And this is one of those, you can't go wrong with this. No. You can't go wrong. So look on Etsy, look on eBay, check them out. If you have them, send us some pictures. Absolutely. We want to see them. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're going to shake things up a little bit. It's our Thanksgiving episode. We're going to spotlight the Jersey buff turkey. We're crossing the lines of poultry. <laughs> crossing the lines. Our main topic, we're interviewing Allison Bodie. Allison is a livestock manager at the National Colonial Farm it's in Maryland. It's a fantastic historical site. She's going to tell us about the Java chickens and the Jersey buff turkeys they have there. Nice. Cracking the eggs. We're doing my fried oyster recipe. Okay. And retail therapy. We are doing vintage turkey tableware. And there's a lot of it. Tons. Okay. So should we tell everybody what to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.